Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. Billy Colonna, and this is Nashville. The COVID-19 pandemic interrupted learning for tens of thousands of students here in Tennessee. This was vital instruction time, particularly for kids who are building the foundation of their education. Then, during a special session in 2021, state lawmakers sought to address the pandemic learning loss by passing the so-called third grade retention law, where any third grade student who does not test to be proficient in English language arts will be at risk of repeating the grade. Parents and educators have questions like, who are the students most likely to be held back? Can school districts accommodate the large number of students repeating a grade? Has the state properly budgeted for this potential outcome? That is coming up later this hour. But first, it's time for Add Us. Yes, each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope. Hey, Andrea. Hey, Khalil. I love it when we get to do this. I know. It's so fun. I love it. It's a good time. Okay, so what's gotten folks talking in this past week? Well, we aired a few repeat episodes uh, over the past week, and you know what? We still heard from our listeners. Nice. You know, when that happens, I feel like it's kind of like a sign that we have some great episodes that have more legs than just a single airing. Totally. So one of these episodes was about the state of WeGo, guest produced by uh, WPLN editor Tony Gonzalez, mm-hmm. our favorite Twitterer uh, at Startles Easily, who has now changed her screen name to Nicole is Queen of the Metro Creatures. Word. LOL. I like that. Um, she tweeted Monday during the rebroadcast, quote, how did This Is Nashville do an entire episode on buses without bus savant of Nashville himself, Jeremiah Wooten? Uh, well, as Jeremiah pointed out on Twitter, we did include a question he tweeted during the live show back in October. But I wanted to say, rest easy, Nicole, we will definitely be doing a follow up on that episode soon. Um, another listener shared with us on Twitter that a route that she, a bus route that she lives on was cut in the most recent WeGo changes. And her family didn't know because the signs were never taken down. So. Mm. There's definitely plenty of plenty to talk about when it comes to WeGo. And listeners know, I love buses, so I can't wait. I feel like we've done a lot of shows about transportation. Yeah. <laughs> I know that I like slot episodes, but I, I didn't do that on purpose. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, electric vehicles this past Tuesday, mm-hmm. and last week we did an episode on biker culture in Mid- Middle Tennessee. Um, for that episode, we got a nice uh, comment on Instagram from Return of the Max 93, she writes, shout out to all the riders. The hubby and I have been doing it, by which she means riding motorcycles, hmm. for over 25 plus years. It keeps our marriage strong, end quote. You know, the couple that rides together vibes together. Okay, okay. I'm trying. I like that. I'm trying. Okay, so in, to keep with the theme of wheels, we talked a lot about roller derby last Friday, which was a blast. Yes, so fun. Uh, our follower, Dixie Girl 256 tweeted us after that episode, quote, great show. I grew up on Saturday afternoon roller derby. Think we can form a seniors league? And wow, I have to say I love that idea. You know, I've met senior Olympians in the past who could totally handle that. I think it's great. Sounds mm-hmm. dangerous, but also really fun. Why not? <laughs> 
Okay, speaking of roller derby, we asked our listeners to vote on your roller derby name, okay. Khalil. Okay. Just to remind folks, the options were Khalil on Wheels, Radio Jammer, Cat Daddy, and The Voice of Authority. So, All right, so what's the winner? The winner is, drumroll please. <laughs> I have to remind myself because I redacted it from the script. Khalil on Wheels. <laughs> Khalil on Wheels. So that's the one. That's That was the first. Oh, wow. Okay. That was the one that was suggested by the junior team. Yeah. And we came up with other ones, but Khalil on Wheels they wins. Were, they were onto something. Right. Personally, I would have voted for Cat Daddy. Um, yes. Our close listeners know that that makes a lot of sense for you. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I um, love it. Yes. Honorable mention goes to the other ideas listeners threw our way, including Splat Daddy and Donut Daddy. Thanks, Tony, for that one. Friday donuts are always an important thing. All right, so what else do we have? So the discussions continue around the proposal to redevelop Bellmead Plaza. Um, after appearing on our show, along with community members and council member Kathleen Murphy, developer AJ Capital made adjustments to their proposal. Wow. Okay, that seems pretty significant. You know, I know residents had largely not been in favor of the original proposal. How have community members reacted to these changes? Well, our guest, Kate Parrish, is not exactly satisfied. Um, she wrote to us after the latest community meeting to share that, quote, not a single community member spoke up in support of the new proposal. And on top of that, she said the tallest buildings in their plan are still 13 stories high, which she says is higher than the zoning rules under mixed use limited allows. We'll have to look further into that detail, but basically community members are still not happy. Mm -hmm. She also said she felt that the developer, um, that developer AJ Capital uh, Senior VP Jack Richmond did not answer any of her questions during our live interview. So it sounds like there may be more to monitor on that. For sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've got a request for listeners. Tell us more about that. Yes. The next Citizen Nashville episode next week is about Nissan Stadium. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> the last episode we did on that last summer blew up. Um, we had more engagement during that episode than I think any other so far. People definitely have opinions about it. And now there's an actual plan for a new stadium with renderings and a price tag of $2 billion. That's with a B, um, which is why we're doing another episode on it. So listeners, tweet us. And tweet us your questions about the proposal. Um, and there's also a prompt on our homepage at thisisnashville.org. And, okay, so one last correction. We accidentally misspelled Representative Justin Pearson's name in our newsletter. It was a Friday, y'all. So please, please forgive us. Yes, for sure. Rep Pearson was a guest in an episode last week about this legislative ses session and his experience as one of its youngest members. It was it was a real pleasure to have him on again and to finally meet him in person. Mm -hmm. Okay, anything else? Okay, there's one last thing. Can you believe it? Next week is March 1st. Yes. Do you know what that means? It means it's our birthday. It's our one-year anniversary. Yes. How exciting is that? It's really exciting. It happened so quickly, but so much has occurred in these last 365 days. I know. Amazing. So, listeners, listen. If you appreciate what we've been doing, if you hate it, either way, let us know. Tweet us. Write us a comment on our website. Um, we will, you know, we'll be talking about it next week. That's right. That is our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope. Thanks for this roundup, Andrea, and we'll see you on the other side of the glass. Thanks, Khalil.
Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. Also fill out our community survey because we respond to your feedback. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll turn to our state's new third grade retention law. What questions do you have about the law? Just tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. In my experience as a student and an educator, I know firsthand how big a setback it is it can be for missing time in school. The hard part is trying to catch up. In 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic caused such a setback for students across Tennessee as schools shut down and shifted to remote learning. And the following year, state lawmakers decided to pass a law to address that learning loss. The idea was that students who don't meet state standards should not advance. As it is, this law puts nearly 60% of our state's third graders at risk of being held back. This law is getting a lot of attention as the school year gets closer to the time for standardized testing. So you can bet you can bet there are a lot of nervous families of third graders out there. To help us understand how the law works, I'd like to introduce my first guest. Brianna Summers is a policy analyst at the Education Trust in Tennessee. Brianna, thank you for being here and welcome to This is Nashville. Excited to be here. Really a pleasure to have you here with us. So, you know, this law is pretty, pretty complicated. Can you break it down for us as simply as possible for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic, which is the exact right place to start. During the 2021 um, COVID special session, the Tennessee General Assembly passed a couple education laws to respond to the pandemic. Um, but one law included a short but important retention provision. Um, this spring, Tennessee's third graders must score proficient on the English language arts TCAP. Um, it's a standardized test in order to move on to fourth grade. Um, if they're not proficient, they must attend um, required interventions like tutoring and summer camps. Mm -hmm. um, there are various other requirements and exceptions, but overall, that's what the law is. So this standardized test, TCAP, how does that stand up compared to tests from other states? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are federal requirements. We have to test um, in math and English, third through eighth grade. That's a federal requirement, but it is up to states to come up with their own test. And we happen to use uh, TCAP here. When is the test issued? Yeah, it's um, held during the spring. The spring. So mm -hmm. we're like, like I said, we're coming up on that time. You know, so let's just say I have a third grader who tests below proficiency. Is there another opportunity for them to test again before the end of the school year? Um, it really just depends. There is a retest window, but districts have the flexibility to determine when exactly that window is. There's a sample timeline uh, provided by the department, but um, what the major question is is whether the school year will end before they have time to get the test results back and mm. administer the retake before families and students go home for the summer. So let's say a student um, is not proficient on the retake. What happens then? Yeah, great question. If they're in that below category that I believe you mentioned, there's two things that they need to do. They need to attend a summer camp, and then they also need to um, participate in tutoring in that next year. And those would be the things that would avoid them from being held back. Yes, but there's a couple things they have to do. They have to maintain 90% attendance, and on that post-test after summer camp, they have to demonstrate adequate growth. 
Okay. I'd like to bring in my next guest. Abigail Tyler is a school board member who represents District 9 for Metro Nashville Public Schools. Abigail, welcome to This is Nashville. Hi, thanks for having me. Really, a pleasure to have you here with us. You know, some people don't fully understand the term proficient and how Tennessee defines it. What does proficient mean when it, what what does it mean when it comes to this test? So the state chooses what the cut score is every year. And that score is what is called proficient. Um, Tennessee has one of the highest cut scores in the nation. And when we look at a typically developing child on a bell curve of just typical development, the 50th percentile is right at average, what you would expect a kid to be on grade level. Mm -hmm. And for our test, in order to be considered proficient, you actually have to score in the 65th percentile. And so what we what happens is we have kids who are on grade level who are being told that they are not proficient. What type of that creates a lot of problems, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, so is that suggesting that grade level performance doesn't measure up to Tennessee's standards? I think Tennessee had standards that were a little bit more lax in the past, and because of the comparison on um, the National Assessment of Educational Progress on the NAEP test, um, in about 2009, we were classified as the second to lowest scores Mm. and to be proficient. And so because of that, we wanted to shift and provide a little bit more structure, a little bit more rigor, and align our test standards to our state standards, which is a good thing. Um, But then they kind of overshot the moon, in my opinion, Mm. instead of bringing up that level to have our students be um, have a high expectation. They've now put it so that you have to be above grade level to achieve proficiency, which is not um, healthy for our students to feel like they're not proficient when they are exactly where they're supposed to be developmentally. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? effect on students when they feel that, hey, I'm not proficient, yet I'm at grade level. Um, In your mind, what does does that do to students? Well, first, it just knocks into their self-confidence, and it makes them feel that they're not good enough. And we've seen from studies, and also um, when I was a teacher in the classroom, just students who don't feel confident in themselves are less likely to take risks and less likely to um, try something new that they might fail at. And what we want to do is push our kids to try the new things so that when they fail, they can learn from that and use it to get even higher and move even farther forward. Um, But students who are lacking that confidence in their abilities aren't going to even try because they don't think that they'll be able to do it before they've even started. And um, we want to really build them up so that they are trying and failing and learning from it and trying again. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about Tennessee's third grade retention law with policy analyst Brianna Summers and MNPS school board member Abigail Tyler. Be sure to tweet us your questions at This Is Nashville. So, Brianna, as of now, how many third graders in our state are at risk of being held back? Yeah, absolutely. Across the state, 64% of students are at risk of retention in third grade alone. That's about 46,000 students. And what really concerns us is that the stakes are even higher for students with disabilities, English learners, students of color, and students from low-income backgrounds. And some of those percentages are as high as 89% at risk of retention. What about English language learners? How, how, How large is that percentage? 
That's a really great question. One of the things that the law says is that um, English learners with less than two years of ELA instruction are exempt, um, but we don't have that data publicly available at the state. So it's not quite 89%, but um, we do know that the large majority of students um, are at risk. And go ahead. No, I, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious because this is in response to the pandemic and the learning loss, yet we have these much higher standards suddenly put in place. Do state lawmakers, if you've had any conversations with them, do state lawmakers, did they expect that learning gap to be filled in this year and a half since schools have been back in? Um, what I do know is that they're interested in um, making revisions to the English learner law, and I do. we've been really impressed. There's over 19 legislative proposals, and they're proposing anything from adding additional test measures um, to focusing on different student groups. So they're, they're asking serious questions, and I think they're, they're interested in pushing the conversation forward. You know, students in special education have what's known as an individualized education program, uh, an IEP. How will this law affect students in special ed? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think there's been some misconceptions there. What the law says is that um, this, the retention law specifically, will not conflict with IDEA, which is um, a federal law for students with disabilities, or Section 504, another big federal law that um, impacts students with disabilities. But um, the state board rulemaking actually says that it needs to be a case-by-case -case decision with the folks closest to the student to make that decision, but it is possible for students with disabilities to still be retained, and mm -hmm. I think sometimes um, that gets confusing out in the public. You know, these are really strict standards, and the state's in the midst of a teacher shortage <laughs> currently. <laughs> Abigail, how will this law infect, affect, you know, teachers and support staff who are already working hard in schools? Well, one of the things that I actually like about the law is this, the interventions that they want to put in place for our students. Um, one of those interventions is high dosage tutoring. And that's where you have one tutor who is specially trained in a specific type of tutoring, working with either one-on-one -on -one or up to three students at the most and seeing them two to three times a week, um, all year, all year. Mm -hmm. And that has made a difference. And that is statistically making a difference in studies. We've seen it we have been doing it in Metro for the last year. We've seen our own students rise to the challenge and make measurable gains after having that tutoring. So I think that is a really wonderful part of it. But the problem is, in order to get enough tutors that are trained in the appropriate style of tutoring, we have to draw from a well that's already pretty dry. And the same thing happens when you're looking at summer schools, staffing your summer schools. If our teachers are already burned out and we already can't fill the seats that we have during the school year, we're going to struggle to fill our summer school seats as well for teachers. And so my concern is that if we are requiring that students who are on grade level, that they must have one of those two interventions, then we're going to be stretching our resources so thin that it's actually going to hurt our students who need those resources the most. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm wondering about some of the logistical challenges that accompany this law. You know, for example, you know, do school districts, do they even have enough room to accommodate for all the students who could potentially be held back? As it stands right now, if every student who is at risk is held back, then no, we don't have the capacity for that at this time. Mm. What about funding? Like, are there, has the state, has the state assembly budgeted extra funds to accommodate for these not to my knowledge, although I do know that um, 
the the fiscal impact of an additional year of educating more than 45,000, I think you said it was 46,000, is estimated to be higher than $450 million. And that does not account for funding to offer the intervention services. That's just for retaining those students. Wow. Okay, we got a quote. I'm sorry. You You wanted to add something, Brianna? Yeah, just wanted to make folks aware there is a bill going through the legislature, House Bill 68, and it was also mentioned in the governor's address. There's, um, I believe, $60.5 million potentially to go towards summer funding, um, and I believe $10 million for transportation. One thing that the law does say is that they, districts can use TANF funds, which are temporary assistance for needy families, um, but those funds could also be used elsewhere if retention was not in place. Okay, we got a tweet from Matthew Bond. He writes, quote, I teach people how to take tests. I wouldn't trust any single test for third graders to establish whether they should pass or fail, i.e. be kept back for another year. Just as colleges don't use only the ACT for admission, neither should a child's future hang on one test, end quote. Abigail, you touched on this a little bit. What's your response to that? Um, I agree wholeheartedly. One test does not give you a full picture of a child, period. There's all sorts of reasons why. Um, but even our own, the House Speaker, Cameron Sexton, has been quoted as saying, I don't think TCAP test measures much of anything. And I think teachers will tell you that you're teaching to a test. So it's very frustrating for me to hear him say that and be quoted on that. And then to have that turn around and be part of the law is the only measure of whether or not a child can move from third grade to fourth grade. Mm. We see what's happening here in this state and this law is very intense. I have to wonder, Brianna, are other states doing anything similar? Yeah, it's a good question. Actually, yesterday in the Tennessee General Assembly, um, they had the former superintendent of the Mississippi Department of Education um, speak to that. We've also seen it in Florida and North Carolina in some cases, but it really comes down to the the nuances and the difference in the laws. No law is unique. They're going to take pieces of it, make new pieces, but it is something we're seeing in other states. Now, you referenced the Mississippi, the former Mississippi education official who turned, I heard that they called that the Mississippi miracle for how they were able to change their standards and the testing of their students. Can you tell us a little bit more specifics about the similarities and differences between what they've done and Tennessee's plan? Absolutely. Um, In terms of Mississippi, there are some similar literacy supports that Abigail spoke to earlier. However, there's three differences I would highlight. One is context. Two is scoring and implementation. And three is data transparency. Um, For context, both of the Mississippi laws, one in 2013, one in 2016, were both passed before COVID that you spoke to at the top of the hour. Um, Our 2021 law was um, put in place as a result of COVID. Mm -hmm. And actually, a national poll from EdWeek found that 84% of principals nationwide would not use retention in response to COVID. Um, And this cohort of impacted students are pandemic kindergartners. They started to learn to read in our public schools at that time. Um, I mentioned scoring and implementation. In Mississippi, there are five levels of the test, so to speak, and the top two in Mississippi are considered proficient. This is where it gets into the differences that you asked about before. Okay. Um, But here in Tennessee, we only have four levels, and the top two are proficient. So both are top two, but it looks at a different group of students fundamentally. Mm. Um, Also say that 2013 law originally started with just that lowest group, and then they worked up to 40%. We came right out of the gate at 50%, roughly. Um, They also, um, between that 2013 to 2016, they gave three extra years to move from that 20% to 40%. Um, 
you know, one of our recommendations in the memo is to focus on that bottom group of students um, and some of the resources on our website um, to focus on the students who most need support. And in terms of data transparency, um, the former superintendent spoke in detail about all the different disaggregations they do, basically looking at different student groups. Okay, if we have this English learner and they're not proficient, okay, let's say they retest. How many percent of those students were successful? Okay, let's say they go to summer camp. How many percentage of those students were successful? Right now, um, we recommend that the law be revised to include some data transparency pieces. Okay, you know, I'm breaking this down for the layperson out there. It seems that Mississippi, in their success, took their time when creating these standards. But here in Tennessee, we've kind of took a, let's say, an expeditious route in this. Do you think that that will harm us in the future? It could potentially. I mean, can't read into the future, but um, delay is certainly an option, and there are multiple legislative proposals that include um, delaying the law in addition to other um, proposals. So, Abigail, tell me, how would you like to see this law change in a way that would benefit students while holding on to this competitive standard that we've set? Well, we already have a law that requires every local education authority, every LEA, to have a retention policy for our students. So every school district already has a law, um, already has a policy about retention for their students. Um, so what I would like to see this law do is to step away from the retention piece because that already exists in our school system and focus more on the intervention piece. And I think if they're willing to fund the interventions that we know will work, and I think, like Brianna said, if we were really to focus those on the students who we know need it the most, that's where we're going to see the biggest change. Um, another thing I would really like to see us do is shift our attention more towards kindergarten and first grade. If we're waiting until third grade, we're too late. A lot of those students are already missing the basic foundational pieces that they need to have in order to read and comprehend. And um, I used to teach first grade, so I taught kids how to read, and that is such a critical year. And if we let kids move on from that with the idea that, oh, well, we'll just catch them in third grade if they aren't getting it by then, hmm. then we're doing those students a disservice. What does, what does some of that early work in kindergarten and first grade, what does some of that look like? Um, so a lot of it is around um, understanding the alphabet, being able to identify the letters, being able to identify the sounds that the letters make, um, understanding when you combine certain things, like when you have a vowel, consonant, vowel, what does that sound like? How do I look at a word and know whether or not to use a long vowel sound or a short vowel sound? Um, and then also to figure out how to use it in context as well, because a lot of our words sound the same, mm -hmm. but mean different things. And a lot of our words are spelled the same, but mean different things. And so context is a real important part too. You know, some would say that lawmakers want all students in Tennessee to succeed. And this law is a step in that direction. What's your response to that? I think a better step in the direction would be to put in more money for our students per pupil funding, because right now we're in the very bottom of that nationally. And for us to say that we need to hold our students to the highest possible standard and then not give our school systems the money that they would need to actually implement successful classes, successful interventions, successful quality teachers, then we're, you know, 
we're basically hamstringing ourselves. We're making it so that we can't achieve these glorious expectations that we've set. So you, would you say there's a disconnect with the intended goal and the, the actions to support that goal coming from the state legislature? I think so, because I think that the if the intention is to retain kids and be punitive, then this law is going to do that. Mm. But if the intention is to create readers who understand what they read and can function in society, then we need to take a different track. Okay. Well, Brianna, what's your top recommendation for changing this law? Yeah, absolutely. One thing we're really concerned about are English learners. I mentioned before, it's based on um, they're exempt if they've received less than two years of ELA instruction. But research tells us and the Tennessee Department of Education has cited that, that it takes about five to seven years for a student to learn English. And we also heard that in the committee hearing yesterday from a superintendent. So um, we believe that English learners should be exempted from this law to give them the opportunity, or active English learners, to be exempted from the law to give them the opportunity to learn English first. What about what about students from um, underrepresented or underfunded communities? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, I think one of the things um, that they could do potentially, and I totally agree with Abigail, and we've heard this from legislators too, is to start earlier. Um, they have these retin- or these um, interventions set in place at around third grade, but let's bring it all the way back to kindergarten, have them in tutoring the moment we know that they're struggling to read, and if they follow through with those interventions, not put them at risk for retention because they've done everything we've asked. Brianna Summers is a policy analyst at the Education Trust in Tennessee. She was joined by District 9 MNPS board member Abigail Tyler. I want to thank you both for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll invite a parent and a teacher into the discussion. Are you a parent? What concerns do you have about this law? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, we're talking about the new third grade retention law. Under this law, more than 60% of Tennessee's third graders could be at risk of being held back at the end of this year. Before the break, we got an understanding of what the law is and how it works. But as we know, the people who will be most affected by this law are the students. They were the focus of a local town hall meeting earlier this month at Woodbine United Methodist Church. It was put on by statewide organizing for community empowerment and a new group formed specifically to oppose the law called More Than a Test. WPLN's education reporter and our co-producer today, Alexis Marshall, was there. Our students are... dozen people are spread out among the pews. There's a mix of anxiety in the air, but also energy, even determination. Folks are here to learn more about the new law. It's fair to say that most of them are against it. You know, I would say as a, as a counselor, as a mental health counselor, this of course it increases, not only increases the amount of, of uh, caseload that we have to see, but undue stress on students that we have to help them resolve and work through and to get over and their parents as well. That's Davidson County School Counselor T.K. Simpson. 
Over the course of an hour and a half, families get to hear from fellow parents, a counselor, school board members, and activists. They talk about the potential impacts, strategize on how to get lawmakers to change the law, ask their questions. But it's not just adults who have questions and concerns. Cole Jackson third grader Nico Bronca Bellows Bradley was there that night. I caught up with him later, and he told me he's worried about the idea of advancing to fourth grade without his friends. I would definitely not want to stay behind, but at the same time, I wouldn't really want to move on without them. They do good in school, I'm sure, but they d they're also like a under a lot of pressure from the teachers. Because they're all, all the teachers are like trying to get them as ready as possible, which means slamming a bunch of work on them, not letting us have recess, which is, I think, not the most effective way because recess is a good way to let out your, all the exhaustion. As the meeting draws to a close, kids like Nico line up at the front of the sanctuary. They hold up a small banner and start leading the room in another chant. Now I'd like to bring in an educator who was at that meeting in Woodbine. Courtney Dial is a third grade teacher in South Nashville who works specifically with English, English language learners. Courtney, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. Really a pleasure to have you with us. So, you know, I understand that your school has about 150 third grade students and 65 of those are English learners. Now, according to this law, as it stands today, how many students are in danger of being retained next year? Good question. Actually, we have over 380 English learners. In the third grade, we have 150 students and we have about 65 English learners. So out of my 150 students in third grade, only four of them did not receive a letter saying that they were at risk or high risk of retention for next year. So potentially there could be 146 students repeating third grade next year. And I asked this question of one of our previous guests, is your school equipped to handle 146 more third graders? No, it is not. Okay. So, you know, tell me some of the can you share some of the challenges that English learning students, English language learning students face when they're in school? Mm -hmm. uh, so what Brianna was saying is that it usually takes about five to seven years for students to really show that mastery of a language. So saying that it's two years, less than two years of ELA is just not quite enough time to show that mastery um, and we also have a lot of students that are not um, tested for special education because we have to prove that it's not an English language barrier. Hmm. So what are you hearing from the kids at your school? Are they aware of what's going on? Yes. Um, and I would say that I have a lot of students that have high anxiety um, especially testing anxiety. So that's definitely a major concern for our students. 
Okay, so let's bring in a few parents now. Lucy Kells is a parent and organizer, and Sonia Thomas is the executive director of Nashville Propel, an educational advocacy organization. I want to thank you both for being here with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Lucy, tell me, how did you respond when you first heard about the law? It seems just like a nightmare for me. Um, I have what's called a testing anxiety, so I pretty much freeze anytime I'm being timed on a test. So when I heard about this, I was like, how many kids out there are just like me that'll just freeze? And then my daughter received the letter that she was at high risk and she makes A's, straight A's. And so we were like, what's going on with this? Now she's at risk as well. And we've recently found out that she has a learning difference. So I feel like there is a big gap in finding out what kids, how kids learn. And the real question I have right now is, are we ready for this retention law to even be in place. I mean, it's never a good time, but right now we're dealing with third graders who missed a portion of kindergarten, a portion, my child's case, was virtual her whole first grade year. And a lot of times it takes that amount of time to find out if a kid has a learning difference. Mm -hmm. So when you're not in school and teachers aren't seeing you, then that can be a deficit. What is your daughter saying? I mean, she's used to getting all A's, but suddenly she gets this letter saying that she's at risk of being held back. Well, we've really sheltered her from it, to be honest. I um, am really into mental health, and so I don't want to put that added pressure on her, so I've protected her from it. Um, Of course, I'm now saying it on air, so she may find out, Mm. but um, I think that a lot of children are having anxiety around this. You're hearing about children that are having to go to therapy because of it, I also feel like these third graders are being robbed of their third grade year because there's so much pressure. So they've already missed kindergarten, some of their first grade year, and then now in third grade, there's so much pressure around this test. Now, Sonia, I know your children are grown at this point, but as a parent, how has this been resonating with you? So I do have a student currently who's in the 10th grade. Okay. uh, Who, when he was in the seventh grade, I was told he was reading on a second grade reading level. So this is very personal Mm -hmm. to me. So when you heard about the this new law, how'd you respond? I responded back in January 2021 when it was being talked about in session. I asked the question, how do we know the difference between a struggling reader and poor instruction? Mm. And no one has answered me yet. That's an interesting question that you're asked there. Yes, it is. What does that tell you about the efficiency of our educational system here in the state? That tells me that we have had problems for decades. And we have not been able to come up with a solution to ensure that every child is reading. And it also tells me that we have to have a sense of urgency. And we we also have to take some action. What type of actions would you like to see? First of all, as we organize parents in our organization, when we talked about the third grade retention law, the third grade intervention law, The first question they had was, well, why are the kids so far behind? Why did we even get to this point? And so a lot of them also talked about the fact that for far too long, our children in our community have been passed on from grade to grade, not being able to read. And so first of all, I think we've got to buckle down and look at why kids are not reading and address that. And we have to make sure that we equip our educators because we need them with the tools that they need to handle this problem. Now, Rachel Kessner tweeted us. She says, quote, I'm an adult who took the TCAP as a kid. 
I feel like the law is punishing kids for a problem they have no control over, end quote. Kind of what you were saying, Sonia. What's your response to that? My response is we're only punishing children when we don't figure out why they can't read and when we don't address it. And so I believe that the intention for this law of putting in interventions, making sure that they get the high doses tutoring, that's what everybody talked about during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And everybody was hooray and hurrah about high doses tutoring. And, and now I think that people are flaking out on the things that we know that will get children reading. And I think that we've lost focus on um, retention instead of intervention. You said flaking out, which is an interesting term because it shows that people were about something, then suddenly they lost the courage mm-hmm. to move forward. Why do you use that, those words, that phrase? I believe that the belief, we have a belief gap. You know, we have everybody in the community and across this country talking about how reading is important. Reading is important. But now we're talking about retaining them and not talking about the interventions that need to take place. To me, that's flaking out and creating a belief gap. What we're saying is we believe we can't do it. We believe that we cannot solve the problem of illiteracy. And that makes me angry. And that scares me. And I think that's doing a disservice for children. Lucy, I see you nodding. I do believe that the interventions are good. I don't think anybody's saying the interventions aren't good. I think that the retention is not good. And I'm not saying that if a child is not ready to go on that they don't need to be retained, but I don't think one test is the way to do it. Um, Yesterday we heard some people talking from Mississippi about some of the interventions that they put in place. And um, it's there. It's definitely not perfect what they did in Mississippi. So I don't want people to think that we want to copy what Mississippi is doing. But I do think some of the interventions are good for children. Uh, the tutoring, for one, and if we have summer programs that are good for kids, let's enforce those things. But uh, I think the timing of this right now, like, how are you going to look at these third graders this year and say, hey, this is all on you after everything that they've been through? Let's go ahead and put in those interventions for kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And once we've done that for those amount of years, then let's look at those third graders. And in the meantime, with the third graders and the kids that are older than them, let's invest in them with the tutoring and the interventions that are going to help them testing so we can find out if there are some learning differences. And then something that really that's really good that came out of this conversation was early childhood. So if we could have more pre-K programs that are funded by the state, there's just a real lack of early childhood development out there. So I think that would help the problem in the long run. But I think we have to do a lot of planning to get to that point. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking this hour about the students who could be impacted by the third grade retention law with Lucy Kells, Courtney Dial, and Sonia Thomas. Now, Courtney, as a teacher, is the lack of staffing and resources adding to this problem? Yes, I would definitely say so. Um, I know there are lots of schools that started the school year um, without a without a teacher. Um, we were down about six teachers that we had to fill those positions. Um, and looking at our tutors, uh, we currently have a one to eight ratio in tutoring, um, but it does say that we need the one to three ratio next year. So you were a part of a fellowship that wrote a paper with suggested changes to the law. Tell us, what did the paper recommend 
And have there been any amendments to this law that you support? Yes, good question. Um, so, yes, I'm a part of the EL Fellowship in MNPS. And a lot of what we do is advocating for our English learners and all of our students. Um, so one of the amendments that I know that we've been focusing on is the HB 0107 by Travis and Bailey. And a lot of that is saying that the retention portion would go back to the LEA's decision and not so much on the state. Because you think of all the different stakeholders, those are the ones who should be making the decisions of the retention and not just the state. You know, as we heard, summer school is required for students who test below proficiency. But, you know, attending summer school is not really easy for all students. How can this affect kids in rural areas, Lucy? I'm not sure if the programs exist in the same way they do in Nashville. That's what I've heard is that they just don't exist. I did hear from some yesterday that sounded like they did have some programs. Um, I think right now kids that are in third grade are just being encouraged to sign up for summer school. So for some of them, that might not be the right thing to do. It also takes away from kids that really need it. So if you have a kid that's proficient and then they fail the test and they have to go to summer school, then that takes away from a child who really does need the summer school. Now, you know, I want to get to the mental health aspect of this. You mentioned it a little bit, Lucy. You know, it's been a long time since I was in school, but even back in the olden days, being in being held back had a big, big stigma attached to it. When I'm thinking about the mental health of kids to this to this day, that stigma really remains. Sonia, tell me, what are your concerns for the students who do get held back and their mental health? Try being in the third grade and you can't read the word big. What does that do to mental health? We're talking about a problem that has, it's decades old, a problem that we have seen real-life movies going on right now. We're talking about third-grade data drives the school-to-prison pipeline mm-hmm. for black and brown parents. And for white parents, it drives up their pockets with putting their kids in private tutoring. So let's talk about the impact of not knowing how to read and what that has done to many of our children. We have juvenile detention centers full of children who can't write their name. So we have to look at what has been done and what has not been done and think about the impact of that and weigh the difference. I think that we also have to improve the communication. The communication is if we do the work, if we tutor you, little Johnny, if we take a few more weeks in the summer, we can catch you up. Then we can put another plan around you to accelerate you in the school year. That's not what's being talked about. The adults are not talking about the work. It is not the problem of a child that we don't have enough tutors or even the money conversation. We need to have child-centered solutions here. We're talking about kids that can't read the word big. I understand what you're saying. So how important is it that as a former educator, I know how important it is to have the school, the educator, the teacher, and the parent involved tightly with this, but it seems like the schools are down. seems like the parents understand what their needs of their children are, but policymakers, the lawmakers, the ones who fund the budgets, aren't really there. 
how can that communication become established so that people at the state house respond to the needs that you and other parents have for their students and their kids? I was not born Democrat or Republican. I was born a black mother from a struggling community who wants her child to read. Lucy and I were talking out in the hallway. We both want the same thing. We do. We want our children to read. We want the children in this city and this state to read. That is not our fight, the Republican and the Democratic fight. That's not our fight. Our fight, we're fighting for the lives of our children and the lives of children in this city. And I think that people need to listen to parents like us to drive the momentum for the decisions that are being made. I think that there's some good things in that law. And I think we need to listen to the parents that are closest to the issue and let them determine. Stop scaring them. Let the This is about intervention. This is not about retention. Everybody's making this about retention. Because if we can do the interventions, okay, then they're not retained. The budgets need to reflect the priority. Reading needs to show up in every budget heavily. We want our children to read. We're not, we're not fighting a political party. We're fighting for our children's lives. Back to the mental health part of it, though, I think that if children are held back in earlier grades, like kindergarten, it's not as big of a deal for them socially. Like in third grade, you have a lot of peers. I mean, I've heard on the playground a kid that was held back, and they were like, weren't you in second grade last year? And she was like, my parents wanted to hold me back. So she was explaining it already. I just think that at third grade is it's a really bad time to choose that for children. Real quick, we have about 10, 15 seconds left. Sonia. We need to answer the question, how will parents know the difference between a struggling reader and poor instruction? That's where we need to start. That is... Sonia Thomas, she's with Nashville Propel. She was joined by Lucy Kells, parent and organizer, and Courtney Dow, third grade English teacher in South Nashville. I want to thank you all for coming on to the show. Really appreciate everyone for being here. We want to thank everyone else who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, you can get hyped because we're going to learn about our city's libraries, but shh, you're going to have to be quiet. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Alexis Marshall, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme musical, Laurent and Namir Blade, and the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Kaliole Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.